0: Welcome to Global Health and Childhood Cancer. I'm your host, Mark Zobeck. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. All right. Today we have a great episode. Today we will be speaking with Dr. Jennifer Heal, who is a pediatric oncologist in Johannesburg, South Africa. And she, along with some colleagues from the International Society of Pediatric Oncology, or SIOP, have been doing a project for the last year where they are trying to catalog all of the healthcare services available to pediatric oncology patients in low- and middle-income countries. They call it the Global Mapping Project. So, as you could imagine, this is a fairly large-scale project. They're literally trying to get information from the ends of the earth about where kids in any country may find care. And they started with focusing on Africa. So today we'll hear their results uh, so far, what they found for oncology care that is available in Africa. And then we will also hear their next steps. They plan to focus their efforts next in Central and South America. So um, I think it's a really fascinating project, a really, really important project. And so I think you will enjoy hearing about it. Um, But this is also one of those things where we hope that you, the listener, can get involved. So, if you are a healthcare provider who cares for kids with cancer in any form, then we would invite you to fill out the survey. You can find the link on the show notes attached to this episode or at the website at ghccpod.com. So, please go there, click on the link, and fill out the survey because this is really important information and it only works if they have your involvement. Okay, that's all I'll say for now. Let's go ahead and get to the episode and you can hear the rest from Dr. Heal herself. Hey everybody, I'm here live at Sciop with Dr. Jennifer Heal, who is a physician in South Africa and she is in charge, or one of the many folks in charge of the Sciop Global Mapping Project, which she is going to talk to us about. So Jen, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, who are you, where do you work and how did you get involved in the project?
1: Hey Mark, thanks for the opportunity. So I work in Johannesburg in a state hospital and I'm part of the SIAP PODC Education and Training Working Group. So the PODC group is the Pediatric Oncology in Developing Countries group, which is um, a part of SIAP which is growing larger. And what we try and do is we try and link people with education and training opportunities, so especially people in low and middle income settings who need a little bit of extra assistance and would like to improve their, their service to children with cancer.
0: All right. Well, thank you. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about the Mapping Project?
1: What's, what is it and how did you get involved? Okay. So about five years ago, at least five years ago, I wanted to see what kind of services were available for children with cancer in Africa. Basically looking at radiotherapy, looking at pediatric oncology, looking at diagnostic imaging, et cetera. So I put it out there in my university as a potential research project. I was happy to supervise students, and strangely enough, they did not think this was interesting. So nobody took us up on the offer. Then I became part of the SIAP Education and Training Working Group, and got involved in trying to link people with all these opportunities. And we found that we had a lot of, we'd done a lot of work. We had a website that was up and running. We had a lot of people who were keen to help. We had a lot of seminars and training programs to advertise, but people weren't taking advantage of what we'd put together. So we thought that we needed to try and get as many contacts as possible. And again, with the resources that we had, we weren't really getting very far. Fortuitously, the SCI Board of Directors decided that they also wanted to delve a little deeper into global oncology services, and they managed to secure a grant from My Child Matters, the Sanofi Espoir Foundation grant, and they approached us and they said, would we be at all interested in taking on this project? So we had no idea that it was going to be so much work, and we put our hands up and we said yes. And a year and a half later, we are utterly exhausted, but we have begun to map the world. So it's about it's about seeing what services are available globally. It's not just in low and middle income countries, it's everywhere, but we're starting with with under-resourced settings because those are the places that need the most attention. So we started with Africa because Africa is the continent that's got the lowest survival rate. There are very, very few published reports but those that are published show survival rates of 0% in some countries 20% in others my own country South Africa has a survival rate of between 52 and 55% which is really something that that we can improve on so we thought we would take the place that's got the lowest reported incidence and the lowest reported survival rate and create a baseline there and then from there move it across to other continents.
0: So the motivation was to see what is available in Africa at first, because of the low survival rates, you want to see, are there resources available? And if not, I guess the the utility would be you could target resources to certain regions or certain countries. Is that Mm.
1: fair? Yeah, that's exactly it. So from the kind of data that we have at the moment, we can compile reports which can be used in specific countries. So for example, if you're in the Central African Republic, we've got some survey data which can show exactly what's available there. And it's available to people, so all they have to do is contact us and we will give them the data and they can take it to their local authorities, to their ministries of health, wherever they think that the data can be useful. We've also, we're have also we also in the process of making a bunch of infographics, so pictures that show the data in a way that's easily accessible, that makes sense to people, that makes meaningful comparisons. So it's the kind of thing that can be shared on social media, can be shown in presentations. So what kind of information are you collecting? Well, we're we're trying to get information from every single person who works professionally in the pediatric onc- oncology sphere. So we'd like responses from pediatric oncologists, from pediatric oncology nurses, psychologists, nutritionists, bereavement counselors, play therapists, pharmacists, people who do diagnostic imaging and concentrate on oncology or have oncology as part of their practice pediatric surgeons or specialized surgeons people who do radiotherapy anybody who spends a lot of time in the pediatric oncology sphere and what we the, the kind of information we want from them is where do they work what what is the setting is it a faith-based institution is it a state-funded institution is it privately funded we want to know how many beds are in the institution how many nurses work full time with children with cancer what ancillary services are available so for example is there adequate supportive care is there adequate imaging facilities is there spiritual support is there psychosocial support there's a there's a whole range of questions and a lot of people find that they can answer most of the questions with a degree of accuracy, and some of them they can't, and that's fine. All we want is as many responses as possible, and then we work on the other side on verifying the data. So we mesh the data together, and we see whether there's a a degree of concordance with the responses. Yeah, And
0: so you have all these questions, put together in a big survey, and I guess you send the survey to people. Is that right? How are you getting it out there?
1: Okay. So there are, there are a variety of ways that we've done it. So the first one is just through email. So we've got a long list of contacts through SIOP and through various other organizations, and we send emails. There's a link which is up on the SIOP website, which is SIOP-online.org. And then you click on the Global Mapping Project. You can also look on the Cancer Point website. So that's cancer, P-O-I-N-T-E dot com. And there's also a little tab there with the Global Mapping Project. And we've put it on Twitter. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. Instagram. It's all over the place.
0: All over the place on the internet. <laughs> Fair enough. So, one of the things with a survey type of project is people have some feelings about surveys. Like, I will be honest and have mm-hmm. a bias against surveys mm-hmm. just because, you know, they take time and mm-hmm. um, they, you've got a lot of other responsibilities. And it seems like healthcare providers get surveyed from a lot of different places. So, I don't, how long is a survey? Like, is it easy to fill out? What's the experience like doing it? Go ahead and pitch it to us.
1: Yeah, look, Mark, I'll be honest, it's, it is long. It takes up to 20 minutes, but the information is vital. It's We really need to know what is out there, what's on the ground. It's There's a lot of stuff that you just click on, and then there are a few free text fields. Obviously, the free text fields take a little bit longer, and you can choose to fill them in or not, but the more you fill them in, the better data we have. So what we're really trying to do is we're trying to create a resource so it's it'll be available for medical professionals and the families and concerned people um, connected to kids with cancer. So, for example, if you are a doctor in Papua New Guinea and you come across a case of high-risk neuroblastoma and you think – where can this child be treated you go on the internet the first thing you find is a study at st jude's that's not very useful because you are far away from st jude children's research hospital for example how's the patient going to get there where's the family going to stay etc 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 so we want a resource where you can find the place that's closest to you that will give the best treatment that will obviously be as affordable as possible so we want all of those details to be available if you have a a child who you think may have cancer and you're not sure you want to go and find a hospital that's got exactly the right imaging so it's not okay to just have x-rays you want a place that's got an mri or a pet ct scanner so that's that's from a medical side and from a from a patient family side people do their research on the internet that's how they find things nowadays and that information is often not out there and parents will do whatever it takes to get their child the best possible treatment. So we want to give them the best possible opportunity to find the best possible treatment for their children. We want it all to be in one place. We want it to be verified. And we also want it to be constantly updated. So the survey will probably come around every five years. We'll try and update it. So we've done one continent. We'll probably do another continent in the next year if we really... Manage to finesse the the process, we might get a third continent before another year is up. But it it takes time. It takes time for people to fill it in. But it's only twenty minutes from their side. From our side, it's years of work. And it it really is an investment in improving services for kids with cancer. Yeah,
0: I can see the the tension that you want to have enough information to make the survey as useful as possible for its intended purpose, which would be to get kids the services they need. But at the same time, you know, you want people to fill it out and it seems like the longer that it goes, the less likely people are to fill it out. So I think you articulate the importance well. How has it been received so far? How have people been filling it out?
1: So we've had a lot of responses. We've had about 700 so far. Probably at least 10 to 20% have been incompletely filled out which is fine because they still give us some data. We haven't had any direct complaints and we've had a lot of positive feedback on the data that the survey has provided so far. So it's it's provoked a lot of discussion. We've reported, for example, that Nigeria doesn't have any full-time pediatric oncology physicians. And then we've heard through presenting the survey that perhaps there might be a couple of people out there who are actually treating kids with cancer. So it's already having positive spin offs. We're already making more yeah. contacts. There's more interest in what's happening around the world.
0: I got it. So 700 responses is actually really impressive. How
1: long have you been at this? We launched it at Sciop last year. Okay. So it's been a year. Wow, less yeah. than a year because last year was in November, so that we could see the autumn leaves in Kyoto, which were mm, beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into the results? Some you already alluded
0: to an interesting finding from uh, Nigeria. But what have you found so far in Africa?
1: We have found that some countries have amazing resources. For example, Egypt. If your child gets cancer in Egypt, they can be treated for f- they can be treated for free in a large publicly funded hospital, it's got proton therapy, it's got immunotherapy, it's got fantastic imaging, it's got PET CT scanners, you name it, they've got it. But in the country right next door to that, there may be absolutely nothing. So we're, we're delving down into each country to see what's available. So some, some countries have got absolutely nothing. And these are often countries that have ongoing unrest. So civil war, for example. So it's it's often easy to to lose sight of other things when you're doing something as as engaging as pediatric oncology. We're all there are many pediatric oncologists who are obsessed with their field. We think about it all the time, we breathe it, we live it, we take it home, we think about it in the middle of the night. And we forget that there's a world out there and that there are wars going on and there's famine and there are drug shortages that affect not only children with cancer, but often all children or whole groups of, you know, swathes of the population. So there are places there, as far as we know, according to our survey data, there are up to 20 countries in Africa that do not have a single pediatric oncologist. Mm. So that affects hundreds and thousands of children. So another interesting thing that we've learned from the survey is that according to reported annual figures, according to what our survey respondents are telling us, there are at least 31,000 children who are being diagnosed with cancer in Africa every year. This is nowhere near the estimated figure which you helped us with, Mark, which should be at least 145,000. So it obviously depends on the methodology, the modeling process that you use. But we're not seeing all the children that we should. So that means somewhere out there those children are not being diagnosed and if they're not being diagnosed, they're not being treated and we all know what happens if they're not treated.
0: Yeah. Well, and the natural question comes up, you've had many responses to the survey, but one would assume that it's incomplete from Africa so far like perhaps you haven't reached everybody. So is there a feeling for How many of the kids that live in places where we have no data on in the survey, are we just missing providers from those regions, or do they genuinely not have any options in terms of finding treatment? Do you have any sense for
1: how to tease those two options apart? I think at this stage, we don't have good answers. I'm sure there are some providers who are out there who are treating children who we haven't reached, and we're still making efforts to to reach those last few people. But I think there are places that really have no services. And we hope that this process will create a baseline that we can then improve on. So we will target each country one at a time to see if we can find a champion for pediatric oncology, firstly, to just give us data, and secondly, to start working with relevant groups to try and institute some services for children with cancer.
0: Because you said there were 20 countries where you have no data on anybody who's treating the kids there yeah
1: 20 countries no no 20 countries who report no full-time pediatric oncology physicians so 20 countries with data and those respondents say so we haven't verified all that data we suspect that there may be some people who the respondents don't know about and that's another interesting spin-off of this project is that it's already leading to improved communication
0: Yeah. So it may Mm. be that the the respondents aren't aware of anybody in their area, but perhaps somewhere else in the country or just they're just unaware that there are services available. Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot of nuance here Mm. that you have to sort through as you're getting the responses. Mm. Wow. That
1: sounds very difficult. Yeah. And once we've done Africa, we have to do the rest of the world. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) what's next then? Where are you going? So we have chosen Latin America as the next region. And that is partly because a lot of it has is very organised. There are quite a few big paediatric oncology organisations, like SLAP and Ahopka. I'm not sure if I'm pr- pronouncing them correctly, yep. but we can already get a lot of that data. So we've I think we've got over 150 responses from Latin America so far, wow. and we're hoping for a lot more because the more responses we have, the easier it is to verify the data. So we need responses from Everyone from if you're a student in one of those centers, if you're a resident, if you're a fellow, if you're a, an attending, whether you're a professor or not, anyone can help give those answers. And we will just we will mesh the data together later. Very good. And as you heard earlier,
0: Jen had mentioned several places that you can go to find the survey. And we will have those places up on the website, ghccpod.com. So you can find it there or you can find it actually in the podcast description if you look in your podcast player. So so Latin America, it will be next in terms of who you target and I guess who you do your barrage of social media advertising and mm. emailing and all that kind of stuff. But what about the data itself? You had mentioned the data for Africa itself. You had mentioned maybe making some infographics or how are you going mm. to try to disseminate the information that you now have?
1: To be honest, we haven't thought that through yet. We've yeah. been concentrating so hard on just getting survey data. So we have a few people who have created infographics and again you helped us with one of them. So we trying we're going to try different approaches. We we obviously want something that's relatively simple for us to make. We need it to be it needs to be very clear so that we can show it to policymakers and influencers, funders, etc. uh with no ambiguity. So if there are people who are interested in making medical infographics They can always contact us and we will help them (laughs) achieve their goals. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So any
0: aspiring data artists out there, um, (laughs) we'll have Jennifer's email up on the website. So again, you can go to ghccpod.com and find that and get in touch and make some beautiful graphics. Okay, and I get the sense in talking to you and having talked to you previously about this, this is a huge project, in fact, perhaps big, bigger than you realize, as is often the case when you do anything, you know, set out to do something big, it becomes mm-hmm. bigger than you realized. Uh, so it's very much a work in progress, but it seems like things are really moving and really happening. There's been a lot of excitement about it at the conference. So I wanted to... Take a few steps back and just reflect on the development of this of the survey and how you and the team at Sciop went about getting everybody together and forming the survey, figuring out what you were going to include, and then getting it out into the world. Because I know this has been a project that has taken quite a bit of your time in you, your already busy schedule. So, can you just tell us about the the process to development and get it to where it is today, where you have these lovely results that are now informing the discussion about the availability of pediatric oncology services and Africa, how did you get it to this point?
1: So, a lot of what's happening in SIAP at the moment is about harmonizing the way we do things. The same standards, applying high standards to research methodology, to creating treatment protocols, etc., so that we're not all working in silos, I hate that word, but so that we're all turning around and fa- facing the same direction, trying to achieve the, right, the same thing without competing with each other or interfering with each other's work. So adaptive treatment regimens are a big thing in the paediatric oncology world now. It's about taking protocols, treatment protocols, that may have been developed in a certain setting and making sure that they are relevant for another setting which is completely different. And if they're not relevant, adapting them so that they are relevant. So that the introduction of such a protocol doesn't negatively impact on the local population and especially on survival rates as often happens when you just transplant a protocol from one place to another. So, along those lines, a number of people who are leaders in our field put together a very important article and it's called A Framework to Develop Adapted Treatment Regimens to Manage Pediatric Cancer in Low and Middle Income Countries. So, the people who are involved, some are from high income countries, some are from low and middle income countries. And they've all thought very long and hard about how to do this process. So what they, one of the things that they decided to do was to stratify a setting. So you decide if a setting is a level zero or a level one, two, three, four. So a level four, for example, will have absolutely everything. It will have experimental therapy. It will have phase four clinical trials. It will have highly trained pediatric oncology nurses. It will have the best diagnostics. It'll have resources, supportive resources for patients. It'll have everything. A pilot project will have just about nothing. All it has is the kids with cancer and you start building from there. So you stratify everything and then you decide whether your, your intervention is appropriate for a particular level. So we decided to base the survey on that article so that we're all doing it in the same way. So we decided to use the same wording as is used in the article, use the same levels. So we we picked out certain questions from the article and we applied them to the survey so that it's completely standardized and it's already gone through a peer review process. The wording has already been approved. And we, we made a survey... 55 questions which is a lot and we the people who were involved were Eric Buffet who's the who's just finished his his time as chair of SIOP Scott Howard who's the secretary general Alan Davidson who is the PODC co-chair Julia Chaloner who has recently won the nursing lifetime achievement award and has a lot of experience in teaching nurses in low and middle income settings Neil Ranasinghe and I, who are the co-chairs of the Education and Training Working Group, and a couple of other people. So we had quite a process deciding on which questions should go in, how long it should be. Then we translated the um, survey into, so from English to French and Portuguese as a start, because apparently those are the three most commonly spoken languages by medical professionals in Africa. And then for Latin America, it's also been translated into Spanish. And then we've had some offers to translate it into Arabic and people are standing up to to help disseminate it all over the place.
0: Yeah, well, again, I can hear that a lot of work has gone into it, and I know that this is a side project for you amid, amongst your busy life as a pediatric hematologist-oncologist in Johannesburg and also training young pediatric hematologists-oncologists, too, because I know you do stuff with Fellowship. And a mother of two lively boys. Lively boys. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping them alive. Lovely or lively? <laughs> Lovely. And you are doing a PhD program as well because Why not? Yeah. So the the work you've done so far has been phenomenal. So thank you for your efforts in PSYOP, you and the whole group, and we appreciate what you've been doing. So, if in the perfect world, you know, let's say it's a year or two down the road, and you have a few other regions of the world mapped out, and this is a little more mature of a project, how do you hope that the information is used? Like, what do you see? What would be true success for you with the mapping project? Wow. <laughs> Dream <laughs> with think, me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So, of course, you should visualize success so that you can plan the process. But I'm not sure if we have thought that far. So we want it to be a tool that's used. We want it to be the go-to place. If you have a kid with cancer, you go to our interactive map and you find the right place to treat your child. And we want the data to be used to improve services. So ultimately, it's all about saving the lives of children with cancer. So it's about improving survival rates and improving the experience of children who have cancer and their families, because obviously some children you can't cure, but you can make it a more meaningful, slightly less traumatic process.
0: That's very good. Well, it's a big project with big aspirations, and you've already made a lot of good
1: progress. So congratulations on your work. Well, thank you. But it's not just me. There are a lot of other people, especially... Neil Ranasinghe and Suzanne Woolart, who works for SIOP. There are a lot of people who have put in a lot of time and effort, and the My Child Matters grant has made the world of difference to to the process. And most importantly is all the people who filled in the survey. They, they are making it what it is. So we really, really appreciate their contributions.
0: Yeah. This is truly an effort by the global pediatric oncology community. So it's both inspiring and it highlights the you know the, the distance still that is yet to be traveled. So if you're listening and you, are, you consider yourself a healthcare professional in this space, then go ahead and go to the website and be sure you fill out the survey. So ghccpod.com and you can find like. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Anything else you wanted to say before we leave?
1: Thank you very much.